Section 35 of The Valley of the Moon by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 3, Chapter 1. The car ran as far as Hayward's, but at Saxon's suggestion they got off at San Leandro. It doesn't matter where we start walking, she said, for start to walk somewhere we must. And as we're looking for land and finding out about land, the quicker we begin to investigate the better. Besides, we want to know all about all kinds of land, close to the big cities as well as back in the mountains. Gee, this must be the Portuguese headquarters, was Billy's reiterated comment as they walked through San Leandro. It looks as though they've crowded out our kind, Saxon adjudged. Some tall crowdin', I guess, Billy grumbled. It looks like the freeborn American ain't got no room left in his own land. Then it's his own fault, Saxon said, with vague asperity, resenting conditions she was just beginning to grasp. Oh, I don't know about that. I reckon the American could do what the Portuguese do if he wanted to. Only he don't want to, thank God. He ain't much given to living like a pig, often leavings. Not in the country, maybe, Saxon controverted, but I've seen an awful lot of Americans living like pigs in the cities. And Billy grunted unwilling assent. I guess they quit farms and go to the city for something better and get it in the neck. Look at all the children, Saxon cried, schools letting out, and nearly all are Portuguese. Billy, not Portuguese. Mercedes taught me the right way. They never wore glad rags like them in the old country, Billy sneered. They had to come over here to get decent clothes and decent grub. They're as fat as butterballs. Saxon nodded affirmation, and a great light seemed suddenly to kindle in her understanding. That's the very point, Billy. They're doing it. Doing it farming, too. Strikes don't bother them. You don't call that dinky gardening farming, he objected, pointing to a piece of land barely the size of an acre which they were passing. Oh, your ideas are still big, she laughed. You're like Uncle Will, who owned a thousand acres and wanted to own a million, and who wound up as a night watchman. That's what was the trouble with us Americans. Everything large scale. Anything less than 160 acres was small scale. Just the same, Billy held stubbornly. Large scale's a whole lot better than small scale, like all these dinky gardens. Saxon sighed. I don't know which is the dinkier, she observed finally. Owning a few little acres and a team you're driving, or not owning any acres and driving a team somebody else owns for wages. Billy winced. Go on, Robinson Crusoe, he growled good-naturedly. Rub it in, good and plenty. And the worst of it is, it's correct. A hell of a free-born American I've been, a driving other folks' team for a living, a striking and a slugging scabs, and not being able to keep up with the installments for a few sticks of furniture. Just the same, I was sorry for one thing. I hate it worse than Sam Hill to see that Morris chair go back. You liked it so. We did a lot of honeymoon in that chair. They were well out of San Leandro, walking through a region of tiny holdings, farmlets 
Billy called them, and Saxon got out her ukulele to cheer him with a song. First it was Treat My Daughter Kindly, and then she swung into old-fashioned darky camp-meeting hymns, beginning with, Oh, the judgment day, am rolling around, yes, a rollin'. I hear the trumpet's awful sound, rollin', yes, a rollin'. A big touring car dashing past threw a dusty pause in her singing, and Saxon delivered herself of her latest wisdom. Now, Billy, remember, we're not going to take up with the first piece of land we see. We've got to go into this with eyes open. And they ain't open yet, he agreed. And we've got to get them open. Tis them that looks that finds. There's lots of time to learn things. We don't care if it takes months and months. We're footloose. A good start is better than a dozen bad ones. We've got to talk and find out. We'll talk with everybody we meet. Ask questions. Ask everybody. It's the only way to find out. I ain't much of a hand at asking questions, Billy demurred. Then I'll ask, she cried. We've got to win out at this game, and the way is to know. Look at all these Portuguese. Where are all the Americans? They owned the land first, after the Mexicans. What made the Americans clear out? How do the Portuguese make it go? Don't you see? We've got to ask millions of questions. She strummed a few chords, and then her clear, sweet voice rang out gaily. I'm going back to Dixie. I'm going back to Dixie. I'm going where the orange blossoms grow, for I hear the children calling, and I see sad tears falling. My heart's turned back to Dixie, and I must go. She broke off to exclaim, Oh, what a lovely place! See that arbor, just covered with grapes. Again and again she was attracted by the small places they passed. Now it was, look at the flowers, or, my, those vegetables, or, see, they've got a cow. Men, Americans, driving along in buggies or runabouts, looked at Saxon and Billy curiously. This Saxon could brook far easier than could Billy, who would mutter and grumble deep in his throat. Beside the road they came upon a lineman eating his lunch. Stop and talk, Saxon whispered. Oh, what's the good? He's a lineman. What'd he know about farming? You never can tell. He's our kind. Go ahead, Billy. You just speak to him. He isn't working now anyway, and he's more likely to talk. See that tree in there, just inside the gate, and the way the branches are grown together? It's a curiosity. Ask him about it. That's a good way to get started. Billy stopped when they were alongside. "'How do you do?' he said gruffly. The lineman, a young fellow, paused in the cracking of a hard-boiled egg to stare up at the couple. "'How do you do?' he said. Billy swung his pack from his shoulders to the ground, and Saxon rested her telescope basket. "'Peddlin,' the young man asked, too discreet to put his question directly to Saxon, yet dividing it between her and Billy and cocking his eye at the covered basket. No, she spoke up quickly. We're looking for land. Do you know of any around here? Again he desisted from the egg, studying them with sharp eyes, as if to fathom their financial status. Do you know what land sells for around here? he asked. No, Saxon answered. Do you? 
I guess I ought to. I was born here. And land like this all around you runs from two to three hundred to four and five hundred dollars an acre. Phew, Billy whistled. I guess we don't want none of it. But what makes it that high? Town lots? Saxon wanted to know. No, the Portuguese make it that high, I guess. I thought it was pretty good land. That fetched a hundred dollars an acre, Billy said. Oh, them times has passed. They used to give away land once. And if you was good, throw in all the cattle running on it. How about government land around here, was Billy's next query. Ain't none and never was. This was old Mexican grants. My grandfather bought sixteen hundred of the best acres around here for fifteen hundred dollars. Five hundred down and the balance in five years without interest. But that was in the early days. He come west in forty-eight, trying to find a country without chills and fever. He found it all right, said Billy. You bet he did. And if him and father had held on to the land, it'd been better than a gold mine. And I wouldn't be working for a living. What's your business? Teamster. Been in the strike in Oakland? Sure thing. I've teamed there most of my life. Here the two men wandered off into a discussion of union affairs and the strike situation, but Saxon refused to be balked and brought back the talk to the land. How was it the Portuguese ran up the price of the land, she asked. The young fellow broke away from union matters with an effort and for a moment regarded her with lackluster eyes until the question sank into his consciousness. Because they worked the land overtime. Because they worked morning, noon, and night, all hands, women and kids. Because they could get more out of twenty acres than we could get out of a hundred and sixty. Look at old Silva, Antonio Silva. I've known him ever since I was a shaver. He didn't have the price of a square meal when he hit this section and begun leasing land from my folks. Look at him now, worth 250000 cold, and I bet he's got credit for a million, and there's no telling what the rest of his family owns. And he made all that out of your folks' land, Saxon demanded. The young man nodded his head with evident reluctance. Then why didn't your folks do it, she pursued. The lineman shrugged his shoulders. Search me, he said. But the money was in the land, she persisted. Blamed if it was, came the retort, tinged slightly with color. We never saw it sticking out, so as you could notice it. The money was in the hands of the Portuguese, I guess. They knew a few more than we did, that's all. Saxon showed such dissatisfaction with his explanation that he was stung to action. He got up wrathfully. Come on, and I'll show you, he said. I'll show you why I'm working for wages when I might have been a millionaire if my folks hadn't been mutts. That's what we old Americans are, mutts, with a capital M. He led them inside the gate to the fruit tree that had first attracted Saxon's attention. From the main crotch diverged four main branches of the tree. Two feet above the crotch the branches were connected, each to the ones on both sides, by braces of living wood. You think it growed that way, huh? Well, it did. But it was old Silva 
that made it just the same. Caught two sprouts when the tree was young and twisted them together. Pretty slick, huh? You bet. That tree'll never blow down. It's a natural, springy brace, and it beats iron braces stiff. Look all along the rows. Every tree's that way, see? And that's just one trick of the Portuguese. They've got a million like it. Figure it out for yourself. They don't need props when the crop's heavy. Why, when we had a heavy crop, we used to use five props to a tree. Now take ten acres of trees. That'd be some several thousand props, which cost money and labor to put in and take out every year. These here natural braces don't have to have a thing done. They're Johnny on the spot all the time. Why, the Portuguese has got us skinned a mile. Come on, I'll show you. Billy, with city notions of trespass, betrayed perturbation at the freedom they were making of the little farm. Oh, it's all right, as long as you don't step on nothing, the lineman reassured him. Besides, my grandfather used to own this. They know me. Forty years ago, old Silva came from the Azores, went sheep herding in the mountains for a couple of years, then blew into San Leandro. These five acres was the first land he leased. That was the beginning. Then he began leasing by the hundreds of acres and by the hundreds and sixties. And his sisters and uncles and his aunts began pouring in from the Azores. They're all related there, you know. And pretty soon San Leandro was a regular Portuguese settlement. And old Silva wound up by buying these five acres from grandfather. Pretty soon, and father by that time, was in the hole to the neck. He was buying father's land by the hundred and sixties, and all the rest of his relations was doing the same thing. Father was always getting rich quick, and he wound up by dying in debt. But old Silva never overlooked a bet, no matter how dinky. And all the rest are just like him. You see outside the fence there, clear to the wheel track in the road, horse beans. We'd a scorn to do a picayune thing like that. Not Silva. Well, he's got a townhouse in San Leandro now, and he rides around in a $4,000 touring car. And just the same, his front door yard grows onions clear to the sidewalk. He clears 300 a year on that patch alone. I know 10 acres of land he bought last year, a thousand an acre, they asked him, and he never batted an eye. He knew it was worth it, that's all. He knew he could make it pay. Back in the hills there, he's got a ranch of 580 acres. Bought it dirt cheap, too. And I want to tell you, I could travel around in a different touring car every day in the week just out of the profits he makes on that ranch from horses all the way from heavy drafts to fancy steppers. But how, how did he get it all, Saxon clamored. By being wise to farming. Why, the whole blamed family works. They ain't ashamed to roll up their sleeves and dig. Sons and daughters, and daughters-in-laws, old men, old women, and the babies. They have a saying that a kid four years old that can't pasture one cow on the county road and keep it fat ain't worth his salt. Why, the Silvas, the whole tribe of them, works a hundred acres in peas, eighty in tomatoes, thirty in asparagus, ten in pie plant, 
forty and cucumbers, and, oh, stacks of other things. But how do they do it? Saxon continued to demand. We've never been ashamed to work. We've worked hard all our lives. I can outwork any Portuguese woman ever born. And I've done it, too, in the jute mills. There were lots of Portuguese girls working at the looms all around me, and I could outweave them every day, and I did, too. It isn't a case of work. What is it? The lineman looked at her in a troubled way. Many's the time I asked myself the same question. We're better than these cheap immigrants, I say to myself. We was here first and owned the land. I can lick any dago that ever hatched in the Azores. I got a better education. Then how in thunder do they put it all over us, get our land, and start accounts in the banks? And the only answer I know is that we ain't got the sabby. We don't use our headpieces right. Something's wrong with us. Anyway, we wasn't wised up to farming. We played at it. Show you. That's what I brung you in for. The way old Silva and all his tribe farms. Look at this place. Some cousin of his, just out from the Azores, is making a start on it and paying good rent to Silva. Pretty soon he'll be up to snuff and buying land for himself from some perishing American farmer. Look at that, though you ought to see it in the summer, not an inch wasted. Where we got one thin crop, they get four fat crops, and look at the way they crowd it, currants between the tree rows, beans between the current rows, a row of beans close on each side of the trees, and rows of beans along the ends of the tree rows. Why, Silva, wouldn't sell these five acres for five hundred an acre cash down. He gave grandfather fifty an acre for it a long time, and here am I, working for the telephone company and putting in a telephone for old Silva's cousin from the Azores that can't speak American yet. Horse beans along the road, say. When Silva swung that trick, he made more out of fattening hogs with him than grandfather made with all his farming. Grandfather stuck up his nose at horse beans. He died with it stuck up, and with more mortgage on the land he had left than you could shake a stick at. Planting tomatoes, wrapped up in wrapping paper. Ever heard of that? Father snorted when he first seen the Portuguese doing it. And he went on snorting. Just the same, they got the bumper crops. And Father's house patch of tomatoes was eaten by the black beetles. We ain't got the savvy, or the knack, or something or other. Just look at this piece of ground. Four crops a year, and every inch of soil, working overtime. Why, back in town there, there's single acres that earns more than fifty of ours in the old days. The Portuguese is natural-born farmers, that's all, and we don't know nothing about farming, and never did. Saxon talked with the lineman, following him about till one o'clock, when he looked at his watch and said good-bye, and returned to his task of putting in a telephone for the latest immigrant from the Azores. When in town, Saxon carried her oilcloth-wrapped telescope in her hand, but it was so arranged with loops that once on the road she could thrust her arms through the loops and carry it on her back. When she did this, the tiny ukulele case was shifted 
so that it hung under her left arm. A mile on from the lineman, they stopped where a small creek fringed with brush crossed the county road. Billy was for the cold lunch, which was the last meal Saxon had prepared in the Pine Street cottage, but she was determined upon building a fire and boiling coffee. Not that she desired it for herself, but that she was impressed with the idea that everything at the starting of their strange wanderings must be as comfortable as possible, for Billy's sake. Bent on inspiring him with enthusiasm equal to her own, she declined to dampen what sparks he had caught by anything so uncheerful as a cold meal. Now one thing we want to get out of our heads right at the start, Billy, is that we're in a hurry. We're not in a hurry, and we don't care whether school keeps or not. We're out to have a good time, a regular adventure like you read about in books. My, I wish that boy that took me fishing to Goat Island could see me now. Oakland was just a place to start from, he said. And, well, we've started, haven't we? And right here is where we stop and boil coffee. You get the fire going, Billy, and I'll get the water and the things ready to spread out. Say, Billy remarked, while they waited for the water to boil, do you know what this reminds me of? Saxon was certain she did know, but she shook her head. She wanted to hear him say it. Why, that second Sunday I knew you, when we drove out to Moraga Valley, behind Prince and King. You spread the lunch that day. Only it was more scrumptious lunch, she added, with a happy smile. But I wonder why we didn't have coffee that day, he went on. Perhaps it would have been too much like housekeeping, she laughed, kind of what Mary would call indelicate. Or raw, Billy interpolated. She was always springing that word. And yet, look what became of her. That's the way with all of them, Billy growled somberly. I've always noticed it's the fastidious la-di-da ones that turn out the rottenest. They're like some horses I know, a shine at things they're the least afraid of. Saxon was silent, oppressed by a sadness, vague and remote, which the mention of Bert's widow had served to bring on. I know something else that happened that day, which you'd never guess, Billy reminisced. I'll bet you couldn't. I wonder, Saxon murmured, and guessed it with her eyes. Billy's eyes answered, and quite spontaneously he reached over, caught her hand, and pressed it caressingly to his cheek. It's little, but oh my, he said, addressing the imprisoned hand. Then he gazed at Saxon, and she warmed with his words. We're beginning courting all over again, ain't we? Both ate heartily, and Billy was guilty of three cups of coffee. Say this country air gives some appetite, he mumbled, as he sank his teeth into his fifth bread-and-meat sandwich. I could eat a horse and drown his head off in coffee afterward. Saxon's mind had reverted to all the young linemen had told her, and she completed a sort of general resume of the information. My, she exclaimed, but we learned a lot. And we sure learned one thing, Billy said, and that is that this is no place for us with land a thousand an acre and only twenty dollars in our pockets. Oh, we're not going to stop here, she hastened to say. 
But just the same, it's the Portuguese that gave it its price, and they make things go on, and send their children to school, and have them, and, as you said yourself, they're as fat as butterballs. And I take my hat off to him, Billy responded. But all the same, I'd sooner have forty acres at a hundred an acre than four at a thousand an acre. Somehow, you know, I'd be scared stiff on four acres, scared of falling off, you know. She was in full sympathy with him, in her heart of hearts, the forty acres tugged much the harder. In her way, allowing for the difference of a generation, her desire for spaciousness was as strong as her Uncle Will's. "'We're not going to stop here,' she assured Billy. "'We're going on, not for forty acres, but for a hundred and sixty acres free from the government. And I guess the government owes it to us for what our fathers and mothers done. I tell you, Saxon, when a woman walks across the plains like your mother done, and a man and a wife gets massacred by Indians like my grandfather and mother done, the government does owe them something. Well, it's up to us to collect, and we'll collect all right, all right, somewhere down in them Redwood Mountains south of Monterey. End of section 35